episode of the In Development Podcast. My name is Ryan, and this is the podcast for all of you city builders, city shapers, and city dwellers out there that care about driving change towards people-centered communities. On In Development, we talk about how Canadian cities develop in and up. We are presented by IDEA, the Infill Development in Edmonton Association, which is a nonprofit education and advocacy group that brings together like-minded people working to shape our city. On today's episode, we have a phenomenal guest, and yes, I am so, so biased, so really you'll have to listen to Ryan to get his, his opinion, uh, but we have on Hanny Barzagard, who has deep roots in construction and restoration. He is the founder and general manager at Hipco Construction and the president of First General Edmonton. Hanny originally started his career as a carpenter, working in restoration and disaster-related projects for various companies. His passion and drive encouraged him to bring together like-minded individuals to create Hibco Construction, a company focused on both restoration as well as full-service construction services for residential, commercial, industrial, and institutional projects. You probably have seen some of his projects if you've driven around downtown, and we talk about some of the neighborhoods that he's been a part of, but there's a really cool iceberg-looking building uh, just west of downtown you should definitely check out. It is a medical building, but it looks so much more fabulous. In 2021, Henny acquired his second company, First General, which his team focuses on restoration capacity. The two companies now employ over 130 people, most likely a little bit more than that because when I got this bio, it's a little, it's a little stale. <laughs> he believes in collaboration, can help reduce red tape and financial barriers, that are limiting to infill development. He is passionate about improving the connections between neighborhood and residents and infill builders and developers. And he believes that we need to work together to build empathy and understanding on both sides. Yeah, Hanny is a nonstop hustler. I think you and I both know that. It seems uh, like this bio is only a couple weeks old and is already stale, which is hilarious, but that is you know, exactly the kind of person that Hanny is. He's always doing something. Um, there's only one thing I think we need to fact check or not fact check, uh, define for you. In the episode, we talk about Church Street, which is uh, 96th Street um, in kind of the quarters area. So it's in the Macaulay neighborhood. Um, it's a street that has a very high number of churches. So there's 13 different congregations that exist on this uh, small stretch of, of roadway. So it's been dubbed Church Street. So all the churches and the parishes are architecturally, historically, and culturally significant in their own ways. And they represent the successful cohabitation of kind of a diverse sets of religions, ethnic, and cultural groups. So it's a really interesting uh, street here in Edmonton. Mariah, you have a personal connection there, though, don't you? Yeah, so I didn't know that this even existed growing up. And I really love religious um, architecture. I think it's really beautiful how uh, different communities choose to represent themselves in their buildings and in their land use. Uh, but when I was in planning school, uh, each kind of group was given a uh, neighborhood to look at and do kind of like compare, contrast, deep dive research into the uh, significance of the area. And so my team, we did Oliver, and then we also did uh, Church Street, which was like a very pleasant surprise because, oh my gosh, is there some fabulous looking churches on that street. Uh, and like, yeah, I it is not like highlighted enough in our city. And I think there could be some really cool stuff. When uh, I just recently was in the UK and there was this gorgeous, gorgeous old church that they had repurposed into a food hall and like nonstop people in and out of there, probably, oh, I want to say like 20 different vendors from food from all over the world. And then uh, beer hall too, which was so fun. And I was like, this is what we need to do with some of our beautiful churches uh, and other like congregational spaces that like maybe reaching the end of their life cycle, their, I don't know, a cohort. Uh, I'm not using the right terminology, but maybe living in different areas of the city. So one of their buildings may not be as highly used. Like, let's bring them back to life and do some cool things with it. Yeah, agreed. And uh, for the record, this area of uh, downtown uh, and Church Street, it is designated uh, a direct control at DC1. So it does have that historic designation that's trying to preserve a lot of it and, and try to introduce some redevelopment in there to varying degrees, degrees of success for sure. But it's all based on kind of preservation and uh, featuring all those architectural features that are found in the churches. So yeah, um, I think that's the only thing we have to define for you. So let's get into the episode. 
So on today's episode, uh, Mariah and I are very excited, and I know you will be too once you're done listening to this episode, but we have Hanny Barzagar. He's the president of HIPCO Construction. He's heavily involved with IDEA, a lot of other organizations that we're going to talk about. Hanny, welcome to the show. Hey, Ryan. Hey, Mariah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no worries. So um, you have a very unique story in how you arrived in Edmonton. Um, I want to start there. How? Where did you come from? How did you get to Edmonton? <laughs> how far back do you want to go? I, uh, the whole thing. The whole thing. Okay. Well, um, I was born in Kuwait, um, in the Middle East. And uh, when I was, uh, was a really small kid, we had you know five siblings at that time. And uh, Gulf War happened, so we moved to Iran. So after uh, you know growing up in an Arabic-speaking country, uh, I learned Farsi and uh, a Farsi-speaking country, and then. Uh, we immigrated to Canada and we came to Canada in 97 and I grew up in Halifax, Nova Scotia. My mom had my youngest sister at the time and then we became six. And uh, that's where uh, that's where we kind of planted our roots and that's where we learned English. Halifax was, a, Halifax was home for a number of years. That's where I went to school and that's where I grew up. You didn't even mention Edmonton, but maybe I'll try to parse out some uh, some of the answers here. So, yeah, family obviously is very important to you. I know you work with a few of your siblings and you're very close. But uh, if I'm not mistaken, they, uh, your brothers were the reason that you ended up here in Edmonton, right? That's right. Yeah, I uh, I uh, followed my oldest brother, Maddie, to Edmonton. We grew up in, uh, in a small town in Halifax and uh, we, we did what we could to kind of uh, get work and and provide for the family. We had a we had a situation where we needed some help, and we were supported by the community that we lived in. And we had um, the food bank, the churches, the welfare, and everything else in between um, that really got us to the point where we can you know be able to stand on our feet after we came over without anything. And when we moved uh, to Edmonton, I was I was trying to find a job. I graduated high school and. Uh, and uh, as we grew up, we were supporting our mom and the younger siblings. So Edmonton was a place to be. Work was booming. And uh, my oldest brother was already here. So I came out here and I got a job working with him at a construction company. So I had a background in, uh, in doing some painting and finishing work because when I was in uh, junior high and high school, my oldest brother would drag me out on weekends and summers to help him because he dropped out and worked on uh, construction sites in New Home building and i hated it it really really sucked being uh being pulled away from uh playing basketball on the weekends to uh rolling and back rolling uh new houses but you know got a lot of experience and learned a lot about construction at a very young age so when i came out to edmonton following him and worked for a, a construction company and doing fire and flood restoration it was it was something that i kind of fell into and was able to uh really succeed in because i had a little bit of background yeah, I'm happy that you brought up the sport. I, I know that uh, you and your brothers are all very close. You all still work together. But who's the best athlete of the three of you? I want to set the record straight. And I know both of your brothers are listening to this. Um, uh, it depends. I feel like uh, I'm a lot better at uh, lifting heavy things. But my youngest brother is really good at running marathons. He's a, he's an avid marathon runner and he did some crazy marathon when he ran 24 hours straight where he raised money for the Saffron Center. And my oldest brother, Maddie, he's uh, he's a natural athlete. I don't know what it is. Like he wakes up and has ice cream for breakfast, but he's jacked. And I'm just like, man, this is so annoying. <laughs> like he's still left heavier than all of us. You still push us around on the court, but you do not have... Um, any routine and any rhyme or reason why you're still in that greater shape. So must be the genetics, but uh, I feel like we all have our different strengths, but definitely Mo. Mo is the, the avid athlete that works out two, three times a day and, and does anything he can get his hands on. I know um, when I've talked to Mo in the past, uh, I call him at work and he is literally on his treadmill under, he has one of those treadmill desks and he is going all the time. It is so impressive. <laughs> It is, it is frustrating when you're on a call with him and his head's moving up and down and you're just like, Mo, please stop. <laughs> like, this is distracting. <laughs> I definitely prefer the phone call because I'm like, I easily get distracted by that kind of stuff. So I'm like, don't worry, we'll just talk on the phone. <laughs> you just walk 20 kilometers in an eight-hour day. I'm like, oh, that's cool. Good for you. <laughs> um, so I know how hard it is. Um, 
not personally, my brother worked in construction. I remember him framing houses uh, when right out of school in the dead of winter. It's it's a tough job. Um, you've gone from construction to now owning Hibco. Uh, it started in uh, 2009. Yeah. Um, I used to work, like I said, for a restoration company, and we used to help out with fires and floods. And um, it was a great company. They were really, really successful. And... Uh, but I just thought that I really wanted to surround myself with a group of people that that really cared about the craft rather than the profits. It was it was really like, hey, how fast can we get this project done? How can we roll on to the next project? And uh, I loved con- construction, especially as I got better at construction and carpentry in particular. I was just like, I want to take my time and do a great job on this mantle or this crown molding or this trim work. And uh, there just wasn't space for that. I feel like construction is like a fast pace, get it done. We got to roll on to the next job. We get paid by the square foot, not by the hour. And uh, when I quit, I realized that, you know, there's definitely a need for high quality work. And uh, I started as a subcontractor supporting other restoration companies when it came into rebuilding houses and and buildings and uh, commercial spaces after they had a disaster that's been mitigated and kind of stabilized. I would come in and put it back together. And when we started in 2009, um, it was really just me kind of getting it going. And when we focused on just providing good quality work, um, I was able to attract some other carpenters and that's all they wanted to do is they wanted to perfect their craft and their trade. And at that time, um, my brother, Maddie was back in Halifax doing trim work and he had a construction company on the go there. And I was like, Hey man, I'm onto something. Um, it would really, It'd be really nice if you can come back and help me out and join me because you got a lot more experience and uh, you've been around longer than I have. So he did, and that was like a big boost. And within the first few years, we went from four or five guys to 20, 30 guys of uh, skilled tradesmen. And uh, we loved what we did. We, we took our time and we provided good quality work for a fair price. And we support each other Um when it came down to like even, you know, personal growth. So we were there for each other as a community. And I, I really wanted to uh, kind of look back and realize how we were successful coming to a country without having anything at all. And uh, the only reason we were successful is the community supported us. So I thought, you know, if we, if we uh, start a company based on uh, a community concept where we we're here for each other, um, you know, and supporting each other, we'll definitely grow and, that concept works works extremely well. Fast forward to today where we're over 150 staff and we have multiple companies and we're a really tight-knit group and I feel like we have a great culture because you know we're there for each other as a community. Yeah, well, I definitely can attest to that culture. I've been fortunate enough to come to a few Hibco parties uh, and it feels like a big family. Like everyone watches out for each other. Everyone cares about each other. Everyone parties hard together. <laughs> It's so much fun every time I come out. <laughs> it goes far. Man. If, if you look at the time that we spent together at work, like, you know, the moments that we cherish the most are, you know, being able to spend time after work together and getting to know each other a little bit more. So the events, the barbecues, the Christmas parties, the nights out, the lunches, the per- birthday celebrations during the day, it's really taking time away and saying, hey, that is a priority to us. You know, work can wait we can take a couple minutes away in the middle of the day and, you know, have coffee together and say, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on with you? How can I help you? And also say, Hey, let's celebrate your birthday. This is a big deal. You're, you're here. You're, you're part of the team. You're part of the family. And it is your birthday. So let's pull that cake out and uh, let's get some sugar in us. So it's really important. That's how you build a, a good culture and a good community when, when you're genuinely, genuinely there for each other. Yeah. And like, I know quite a bit about some of the projects that Hibco's worked on in the past, just because I, I don't know how I did it. And I don't know why you said yes, but I finagled you onto the board, <laughs> twisted your arm. Um, and I've got to see some really cool things that you've done. You've uh, worked on projects around floods, for homes, for hospitals, I believe. You've got to build really cool medical centers, like is there are a few that kind of stand out in your memory that you just love and you love to be a part of? I feel like as we kind of developed um, 
our values and, and our team, um, we started recognizing that the projects that meant the most to us or the projects that really were the most rewarding to us weren't the projects that were high profile and you're building this fancy restaurant. It was really the projects that somebody needed help to get them out of a pinch. So a business that had a uh, fire and losing revenue and they want to get back into operating right away or somebody's uh, somebody's parents are coming, but your basement just flooded and you're trying to get it back and 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 put it back together so you can house your grandparents that are visiting town. So it was those scenarios that we really, really excelled at. Um, the project that really stand out to us would be the Fort Mac uh, fires when, when we were out there and we helped with rebuilding um, the hospitals and being able to open up town and help some of those businesses with uh, with getting them operational so people can move back. We, we went out to Slave Lake after those fires and rebuilt houses out there. And those are those are times where you just look back and say, oh, my God, look at the devastation. This is it just it's really it's really hard to be up there and kind of see what people are going through. But then it's really rewarding being able to, uh, you know, do your part and be a small help in rebuilding a community. That was probably the most rewarding projects we've been involved in. And uh, it meant a lot to the team. I think the team got, you know, stronger and, and they worked together better. We went out to Telegraph Creek, northern BC, where there was a wildfire that went through a reserve and we helped rebuild. And uh, being able to spend time in a community like that, where it took us two days travel just to get there and be in an area where there's no cell phone service, there's no internet and kind of live in the community and work and support the community. And uh, it was just really, really, really eye-opening to see different lifestyles and how you can take a step back and, you know, connect with people, not really focus on, you know, how can we get this project done and move on to the next one? It was just really genuine support. And that's what's really been something that brings our team together more and more every day, the projects that were the, the most rewarding to us. And it kind of defined what we do and who we are. So we focus now on more of the not-for-profit industry and, and work that we do, whether it's a not-for-profit trying to develop a space or build their space out so they can serve the community or, you know, the family that needs help getting getting the house rebuilt after a fire to right now we're working on a massive plant that had a fire that manufactures plywood and they, they, they supply it to the majority of Alberta. So... It's a remote area. It's it's uh, it's really rewarding, kind of seeing other companies that are doing their best to support the community. So you went uh, you went into some detail there about uh, your your previous work, but you've recently, maybe not even recently, but you, you got into infill as well. So that's a completely different industry than what you're talking about. Um, how did you get into it, and what made you interested in getting into infill development? I think. Um, it all comes back to a community based lifestyle. So. Like I said, when we came to Canada, we didn't have anything. Um, our single mom was raising six siblings, and it was really the community that supported us. And uh, recognizing that without having a strong community around you, you can't really grow, you can't prosper, you can't really be able to uh, provide you know anything for yourself because you, you're just worried about what you can eat, how you can survive, and you're not really thinking about how can I learn, how can I grow. Focusing on that whole community aspect when we uh, became successful as a company, we recognized that it was our community. It was the whole team that made us successful. So um, being really involved in each other's lives and supporting each other. And uh, when we when we look back and uh, recognize that if it wasn't for the area that we lived in and the infrastructure that I had and the community that was around us, we wouldn't be where we are. So as we, as we try to diversify and create more opportunity to keep our team busy, when when there's a massive flood or fire and there's an influx of work, we're there for them. So when a hospital has a massive flood, uh, you need to have a, a very good, organized, experienced team that can get in there, set up the negative pressure, make sure that there's no contaminants and there's nothing that's going to get airborne and affect any other areas to make sure that we, we continue um, growing that team and also um, keeping that team employed, we wanted to diversify. And the best thing we thought we could do is reinvest into the community, the, especially the inner city. So that's how we got into infill. So we, we started purchasing properties throughout the inner city on the 111th Ave areas, 118th Ave, the Nods and Corridors, and areas like the Church Street area, the Little Italy area. So those areas, um, we know we travel to other cities because those areas is what we walk up and down the street. 
and that's the areas that we, we hope that Edmonton is going to have these nods and corridors that are thriving with multicultural restaurants and small businesses. And uh, it, it, it needed a little bit more of uh, infrastructure and more development dollars. And we thought we could, you know, be a small help, do our small part and purchase some of those properties and redeveloping so businesses and homeowners and new families can move into those areas. So infill was infill was something that we knew will bring a lot of value to the communities because if we weren't getting uh, getting the support that we needed when we were younger, we wouldn't be here today. And we thought, you know, if we can help rebuild some of these inner cities by providing some good quality infill, we can uh, do a small part in making Edmonton great, greater than it is already. For sure. Yeah, no, that's great. How, how did those, I'm curious about those first few projects, how those went you, uh, you know, you came from the restoration world. And like I mentioned, that's a, that's a huge change to actually building something new, um, a little bit, but I'm, I'm just curious how those first few projects went and how, you know, that might've changed the way you thought about infill or how, how you're thinking about infill kind of evolved from those first few projects to where you are now. With restoration, it's an extremely fast-paced industry. Like you get a call at three o'clock in the morning, an apartment building's flooded. You're getting over there, and there's like units that you're ripping out drywall, and you're trying to set up fans and dehumidifiers and mitigate the loss and kind of reduce the damage. But you're trying to put it back together as fast as possible so people can move back in there. So the turnaround is like two, three weeks. Um, the reason why I got personally involved with infill and uh, you know, my beliefs of supporting and rebuilding the community came to like a grinding halt within the first massive purchase that we did on a property on Church Street. We we're like, okay, this is a beautiful area. It's got an amazing history with with all these beautiful European architecture up and down the street. It's right in between Chinatown and Little Italy. You have, you know, walking distance to all these small businesses. But um, when we came to build an apartment building, um, we, rec- we realized really quickly that we can't really build anything on this lot. We, we didn't have um, the right zoning. There was another overlay on top of the existing zoning. And we we're like, okay, well, if it's going to cost us X amount of dollars to build this building and uh, <laughs> we're going to lose our shorts on it, how can we even build um, the high quality that we try to uh, continue building. Like we, we coming from a restoration world, we see what happens when you build um, poor quality homes and buildings. It's, 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 it's not the right thing to do. And we really thrive on and, and want to build quality construction. And it just made no sense on a, from a performer level, because I've never dabbled in performance. I never understood how the developers and investors do it. This was our first development. And tell this day, we're trying to build that building and we're very, very close to building it um, with the help of some fine people that we've met through IDEA. But it was extremely difficult. And, and that's where I have a lot more respect for developers now that are trying to build throughout the inner city and understand why there isn't uh, as much development happening as there should be. Yeah, for sure. I, w- I want to tug on that thread a little bit. Like what, what specifically were some of those struggles and roadblocks that, that you were uh, facing? And then how did the project kind of evolve? Like what was the idea initially and where's it at now? Well, the idea initially was to build um, like a four-story apartment building and be able to have like 28 units in there so we can at least be able to break even once it's built by occupying the building. Because of the zoning, because of the overlays, we couldn't go that high. We couldn't go that wide and we couldn't develop that many square feet. So we had to scale it back. And when we looked at scaling it back, the challenge was it was going to cost us X amount of dollars to build the building, but we didn't have enough units to actually be able to bring in enough revenue through rental to pay for the cost of construction. So it was extremely difficult. And we went back and forth multiple times trying to figure out a way to actually get this project off the ground. And uh, where we're at right now is with the CMHC mortgage and being able to kind of um, stretch out our, our, our financing to 50 years, which hopefully we can pay that off in 50 years and, and providing some more affordable units, we're able to actually build a 17-year apartment building with, with a U-shaped design because we really wanted to have a community oriented. So we wanted to have, you know, a mix of uh, two bedrooms, three bedroom studios. So you can have the, the, the single entrepreneur being able to kind of support and also work out of that space as a commercial unit on, on the street level units. And then also have the 
older families that have been living in that area be able to move to a, a brand new unit and kind of uh, continue living in the community because there isn't much housing in that area. So the only reason we can do it now that we think we can get it off the ground is because of the CMHC. But at the end of the day, the cost of construction and with the amount of money that we have to invest into moving power poles and designing around uh, where the dumpsters go for the building and, and how many parking stalls we're trying to actually, you know, accommodate for the for the for that building. And and it's really been a, a, an eye opening um, experience trying to figure out how we can just build a building in the, in the city that's going to bring value to that community with all these roadblocks. And uh, I think we're almost there, but uh, like I said, we've gone to council, we've, we've met with a, a few different people about rezoning it and the challenges of just rezoning alone and the delay and how long we're, we're going to tie up money just sitting there and trying to rezone a, a project. It's it's unreal. Like So it's it's been extremely difficult, but I think we're almost there. I know when I was in university, I got to do a deep dive into Church Street and oh my goodness, that area is beautiful. Like the architecture around there, the people are so wonderful. Uh, how initially did you find Church Street in those neighborhoods? Well, we grew up in the inner cities in Halifax and uh, uh, living in Edmonton. And like I said, when we travel, we go to cities that have these mature areas and walking down, up and down the streets and we really enjoy that lifestyle. That's why I travel. I, I love those gems in those areas. And that's exactly it. I came across Church Street because um, we did a project down there for uh, a house that had a fire in there through the last company I worked for. And I just fell in love with that area. I was like, it's, it's a perfect location. It's, it's walking distance to downtown. It's, it's a beautiful community and it's got European design buildings where we don't have much history in Edmonton. Edmonton is a fairly new city compared to other cities throughout Canada and Northern or Southern Northern America. So we thought, you know, if we can help kind of preserve some of this history and add to it by comp complementing it with some really cool designs and buildings, that's what we wanted to do. And we wanted to bring in some new housing so uh, you can have some families move into that area and kind of save the schools and save the infrastructure that's already there. So we don't constantly have to uh, demolish these these beautiful buildings and keep building in suburbs where it spreads people out and it doesn't have as much of a sense of community as you would in, a, in an inner city. Yeah, well, and I know the community in that area is so active. Like they're throwing festivals, they're doing food walks, they're doing dog walks to make people feel more safe. Um, I believe they also have the Kaleidoscope Festival, yes? Yeah, over on uh, 118th Ave area. And uh, they do so much uh, community engagement work in that area. I know with Arts on the Ave, um, when COVID happened, um, I got a call from Christy and she said, hey, we really want to continue Clido because it brought the community out and brought the community together. This is a really, uh, low-income area. Is there is there a way we can put these artists on trailers and drive up and down streets and and have these have these streets activated? And uh, middle of the winter, she came up with a phenomenal idea, and we had all our trucks out there and hooked up to all these trailers and had all these different artists, all these different musicians, basically perform on the on the back of a trailer as we drove up and down streets and. You should have seen the faces on these kids running out of their houses and <laughs> jumping up and down. Um, it was the coolest experience I've ever had in my life. It was, it was, yeah. So there was a lot of really amazing people that lived within those communities that are wanting change, that they want to see change. And they've been told that for a number of years that change is coming and we're going to have some beautiful buildings and developments and families move in. But it's, it's really, really uh, sad to see how long it's taken for that change to actually happen. Yeah, especially for a dedicated company and team that wants it to happen. Like you've spent years and years trying to make it happen. I've heard from the city, they want development in that area, yet here we still are. Um, I'm, ex I'm really excited for those neighborhoods, but oh man, if it could come yesterday, that would be great. <laughs> yeah, I agree. Those are the gems of our city, like I said. Imagine having a multicultural food scene up and down 118th Ave and 111th Ave. Like that's a that's a beautiful corridor all the way down to the stadium. Like 
there's the Avery room. There's some really cool stuff in that area already to begin with. It's, how do we add to that? How do we how do we redevelop some of those older uh, buildings that they don't bring much value? They were poorly built, and there's no reason to save them. But at the same time, the cost and demolishing them and rebuilding them and going through rezoning them so you can have a couple of apartment units on top so you can really, really energize the street and have people kind of be able to walk to work and walk and grab groceries that connect on the on the street it's it's that's how you that's how you kind of grow a community i remember coming when like it's, it's a sad story but when you come to canada and you're kind of alone and you, you don't really know anybody it's it's the people that you come across and just simple interaction that make you um realize that you know there's there people are there to support you there's there's somebody out there it's that simple simple hello how are you that changes your mood for the rest of the evening. So if you're alone and you're feeling kind of sad and you just have that simple interaction as you're coming home, as you're going, as you walk into a grocery store, that's that's yeah, that's what makes you feel like you're a part of a community. And we all want to be a part of a community. And that's why when it comes to an organization, whatever it is, as long as you can create a community within that company and that organization, I promise you'll thrive because everybody feels um like they're a part of something. Yeah. And oh man, the different food on 118th is unbelievable. My favorite caterers in the city. Um, shout out to Creative Quality Catering, uh, American Chef. They are so talented. They do like a retreat to Mexico every year. Uh, they were the caterers for our wedding and the lamb lollipops were unbelievably good. I still think about them to today. Uh, but yeah, they have like great dance studios there. And it's just, it's such a cool vibe, that area of the city. You've done uh, another infill project, um, not in that area, but, but close to that area. A beautiful uh, single detached home for this wonderful man. I think his name is Jim. I've met him before. <laughs> you sure did. Jim is a beauty. We, uh, we built a house for him in uh in Highlands and uh, Jim uh, wanted, uh, you know, to move into uh, a community that he already knows. And it's, uh, he, he lived pretty close to the infill house that we built for him. And uh, he knew what he wanted um, him and his wife, Melanie, they're, uh, they're uh, had a great idea in terms of what kind of concept design. And they know, they know they've done some renovations before they've built houses before. So it was, really fun working with them and kind of building their 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 home and uh it's a little bit challenging when you have such tight lots and you're working in a community that's mature and some of the neighbors don't want to see any infill and they don't want to see any new inventory and they say you're ripping down old houses that you know we shouldn't be demolishing but i don't think they understand the the challenges and the cost of restoring an older house that has foundation issues and the exterior hasn't been maintained. So the, all the frame has been watered out. And uh, I don't think to understand the value that a new house brings within the community and new families that bring within those areas. So being a part of the infill um, education course and uh, Jim being an advocate for infills and, and uh, understanding what the community is going to be like. We spent a lot of time knocking on doors and letting the neighbors know what we're doing and having an open line of communication with who we are, what the project's going to look like, and really making sure that we clean up after ourselves, going around and making sure we're not leaving mud in the alleys and, and the sidewalks are clear. So that went really far. It was a fun project. Um, overall, it was successful. We built it during COVID, so we had to stick handle some material delayed issues and some scheduling issues and some trade issues. But at the end of the day, we got it done on a timeline, and Jim and Melly seemed very happy with the end product, and we're happy to work with them. And fills are and fills are really rewarding because you really get to connect with someone and and you get to know them really well, and also connect with that neighborhood, that community, and get to know a lot of people during the process. Yeah, the, the home is absolutely gorgeous. In my job, I'm very fortunate. Sometimes members let me go and check out the home during the process. Uh, and your team is very passionate also about sustainable development. And I am in the learning process of how we become more sustainable in our building practices. 
and the siding that was being used and the thoughtfulness about uh, how how much wood, how you could reduce the amount of wood, where like the studs go in the walls, like it was unbelievable. I hats off to you and your team about that too. Yeah, we uh, we actually built a brand new office, and uh, when we talked to the team about okay, we had a pretty clean, sharp office that we worked at for a number of years, and that was like glass and new desks and new laminates and everything. Uh, when we moved into our new office and we were talking about the team, about the concept and design, and everybody was like, well, we don't really need anything shiny and polished. What if we recycle stuff? What if we reuse everything? So our brand new building, it's it's, it's a massive building. It's over 26,000 square feet, and we have, we have, I think, like 30 offices in here. And uh, we recycled every single desk. We didn't buy any new desks. Um, we recycled lumber from... Um, our backyards that were sitting around from our yards to to the metal panels to the desk the reception desk was recycled material all the glass for the different areas for the finance team and the different divisions been um, glass that's been pulled out of show homes and uh, the ones that they turn their garages into you know, their offices and then they convert them back into garages we reutilize all that glass we partnered up with habitat for humanity and architectural clearinghouse and we spent a couple months just tagging off light fixtures that they kept bringing in and, and plumbing fixtures and everything else we could get our hands on. So it was really cool as our team kind of designed our new office with the material that we could get our hands on locally that uh, otherwise would have you know, been going to the dump. So it looks phenomenal. Everybody's really proud of it. And uh, it was just a simple way of kind of um, bringing the team together to do something different and also be sustainable. So. And the building that um, we purchased was a building that was uh, older and needed a lot of work. And uh, in our conversations around, okay, where do we move to next? What is our next space going to look like? Um, we had a lot of conversations around building a new building, and we came back to the concept of, hey, why would we build and and uh, and use all this new material when we can find something that's already existing and make it better? And that's what we did. So we were extremely happy that we went the route of uh, purchasing something that uh, we could have, you know, spent some energy into and, and, and making it new again. So we did. And then also renovating the whole inside using recycled material and supporting amazing organizations like the Architectural Clearinghouse. And that's all they do. They go into old buildings and they pull out anything that can be reused and they store it in their massive warehouses and they hope somebody thinks sustainable and comes and buys it off them. So. It was really rewarding and it's uh, turned out really nice. You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, but my favorite part of your new building, uh, and there's so many beautiful parts of it, like the kitchen is great, the workspaces are great, but the doors are so beautiful. Uh, is that where you you had originally got all the doors? Yeah, we, uh, we uh, came across like 15 matching doors that came out of a church and they got these old stained glass on there and their their mahogany doors of this old gold hardware it's they're gorgeous doors they're like eight foot doors and uh it just fit the space so well but that's where we got all the doors from we have another batch of doors that we purchased through architectural clearinghouse and they came from an old lawyer's office and we use it in a different section of the building so it works it really works and it came together really well but some beautiful stuff that you can't even find these days that um, if you if you spend enough time hunting, you'll come across them, whether it's on you know your marketplace online or or through stores like Habitat for Humanity and Architectural Clearinghouse. Yeah, and um, this is so crazy that I don't know the answer to this, but you and I were talking last night over a game of bowling. Uh, you've been involved in an idea more, like well further back than I even realized. How did you first find us? I found you guys online. Like I said, when we bought that plot of land on Church Street and I came across um, the zoning bylaw and understand, trying to figure out like what I can and can't build. And every time I met with say, well, you can't do that and you can't do this. And, and it was just the layers and layers of issues and problems that I had. So I went online and I came across the group idea and, and uh, I joined one of you guys' events. And I think it was just a social um, when you guys were, when we had an office on jasper app and uh i met some of the some of the members and from there i was like oh my god this is, these are the guys these are the people that are gonna 
you know, drive to make our city even better and greater. And they know so much and they're really experienced in all aspects from real estate to, to planners, to, to developers, to contractors, to subcontractors. So I got to meet a lot of different people from a lot of different places that are coming together to do something amazing, which is uh, support infill development and kind of put their energy and volunteer and changing some of the roadblocks that we have. And, and I was like, I got to help out. I got to do whatever I can to support it because uh, I know how much of a impact it will make in the long run in these inner cities and these communities that, like I said, if it wasn't for a strong community around us, we wouldn't be here today because it's an experience that I've had and it's a fact. It's not an assumption and I didn't read anywhere. I know it's a fact because we, we really needed help. Like we got a lot of support from our community and we want these areas that could use the development and could use new families moving in to happen sooner than later. Yeah, I feel like I won the lottery coming uh, out of the university, getting to work with like every different types of people uh, that interact with, with rebuilding Edmonton, architects, designers, builders, developers, community members, lawyers, landscapers, like <laughs> it runs the gamut. And if there's anything consistent with the infill community, it is passion and dedication for the values that come along with, uh, like with mature neighborhoods and with, with communities. That being said, uh, IDEA works really closely on all the kind of like technical building problems that we're, we're trying to reduce or find creative solutions for in the city. Uh, right now, the city of Edmonton is going through zoning bylaw renewal. Uh, you've been through a few projects, you're working on a few projects right now that may require variances, have created timelines. Is there a few things that you're hoping to see out of this project that'll allow for the redevelopment of some of these neighborhoods that you're so longing to see change? I think consistency. I think having uh, consistent zoning so we can really know what we can and can't build and where. I feel like um, adding more units, adding more um, population to an area will bring a lot of value. And having the zoning allow for mixed use, having commercial spaces and residential, having uh, the zoning allow for for creativity, a little bit more uh, coverage on on lots and it all comes down to really clear lines and not 30, 40 page um, complicated zoning balas on on uh, on lot that people that are just developers and builders or especially builders or, or, or a homeowner that's trying to find the piece of a property and build their dream home can understand, can read, can can really go through it and figure out what what they can and can't build. So I think there's a number of things, but to really um, keep it simple, just keep it simple so everybody can understand what we can and can't do and, and really eliminate the some of the restrictions that just make no sense. And we don't even know why it was even added in the first place. Like some of the setbacks and some of these things that they have set on there, I'm just like, who and why did this even happen? And why wasn't there a conversation around this? So. I'm hoping to see a little bit more clarity and um, and I'm hoping that it's going to help some of the developers come in and start really investing into these areas because now they know um, in advance what they can do and they can run their performance and run their financials and make sure it's feasible and then go ahead and invest. So it's not a, it's not a three, four year project where you're tying up money and you don't even know if, uh, if the city is going to allow you to do this or not because there's so many variances and you're going to have to get in front of a council and I think uh, a lot of what you just said uh, resonates a lot with both Mariah and I and, and, and listeners as well. So we hope for the same things as you do. Um, I want to go back to Hibco a little bit because just following your news feed, uh, you, you, you guys are expanding like crazy. You've uh, you know, purchased a restoration company after you know, being a subcontractor to restoration companies in the past. So that, that's kind of exciting. You've merged with a modular construction company, if I understand correctly, and then you opened your own residential construction division. I mean, I got to ask what spurred all those, uh, those company expansions and how are they all going? Honestly, I keep saying community. It goes back to like our team um, being 
so tight and, and we continuously come across people that are like, we want to be involved in this culture. We want to be involved in that organization that cares about one another and that continues to support each other's growth. And, and the first general restoration company that we purchased, it was a business that was operating for 25 years in Edmonton and they serviced Alberta. And Bob Bunker had family members working in his business. And uh, at the same time, there were really um, great group of people that went out there and provided a service. They cared about their clients. They cared about the, the, the homeowners that experienced a fire and flood. And they, they took their time and um, walked them through how we can put it back together and support them emotionally during the process. So it was just, it was the right fit. They had the right culture. And our team wanted to know what's next. We were, we were working for some other restoration companies that were really profit-driven. They weren't really a partner. They didn't understand that if you have a subcontractor, you want to support them. You want to support their growth. You're supporting the community. And you want to do quality work. It's not about profit. The profits will come with it whenever you develop, deliver on quality. And uh, so when we purchased First Shell Restoration, it was really a team conversation. And the team said, hey, we're, we're ready for the next stage. We really want to support the fire and flood industry. And we want to support people when, when uh, they, they're in distress. And uh, the team, that's our values is how do we provide a good uh, quality work for people that need us the most. So as, as we kind of continue to understand what our values are and what the company is really proud and and what the team is proud of in doing, we realize that serving people, especially when they uh, when they can use it, is, is really rewarding and brings in great karma and keep, continues keeping us successful. So we bought First Shell Restoration about 18 months ago. And uh, then uh, we purchased, uh, well, we merged with uh, Encore Construction. And there's another, uh, another company that has the same type of values that we're working in remote areas assembling modular units and uh, and providing housing on reserves and in cities that needed you know affordable housing that that you couldn't get otherwise so michelle and his team have been traveling throughout canada and setting up shop in some of the most remote areas some of the most beautiful communities and getting to know some amazing people building these buildings and setting up modular so there's housing out there and We've partnered together on multiple projects and our, our values line up and we have a, his, his company has a similar culture. So it just makes sense to bring the team together and, and kind of continue growing as a, as a community. Yeah, that's excellent. And then just to close the loop on your residential construction division, what kind of projects are they working on and what are you excited about um, opening up that uh, division of HIPCO? Well, with Mick Graham and his expertise and being involved in the infill industry for a number of years and uh, leading that team, um, we, we have some infills on the go in, in uh, Crestwood and some of the more mature neighborhoods. And we have some infills on the go on uh, 95th Street in the Norwood area. And uh, we have some properties that we're looking at developing in Macaulay and especially the, the multifamily that we're hoping to get into the ground spring of next year in Macaulay. So there's some really cool, exciting projects that uh, we're looking at um, continuing to build and uh, develop in the new year. So it's exciting because it is inner city work, it is infill work, and it is helping revitalize communities and provide new housing for families. So, and Mick is a phenomenal guy. I think you guys both know him and have worked with him for a number of years. So um, it's exciting to kind of support him and watch him uh, do what he does best. Yeah, we had he was a guest on the podcast not too long ago, and uh, it, it was a great conversation for sure. Um, the last thing we do here always, Hanny, is a call to action. So this is your opportunity to plug kind of anything that you think our listeners uh, need to know or do. Go ahead. Um, community. I keep saying that word because it means so much to me. And I think if you focus on uh, your community, whether it's within your business, within your within the area you live or, or however you apply that, you know, put in the best effort that you can possibly put and deliver deliver in that community space, um, support people around you. And uh, when it comes to infill, I think the best thing we can do is invest into those inner cities and help revitalize and, and develop strong communities so they can try to support everybody else that needs it in those areas. 
Um, I think community means the most to me. And I've, I've put that first and foremost when it came to business, when it came to uh, family, when it came to the area I live in and the area that we're going to redevelop. It's just all about building a stronger community so we can all support each other as we all continue to grow and continue to live and thrive. Yeah, that's a great, great way to end this. So Hanny, we want to thank you for being on the episode today. Um, you're a very humble guy. You're focused on community, but uh, yeah, people are, if they haven't heard of you, they, they will certainly in the future. So we want to thank you for coming on and uh, yeah, hope you have a great day. Awesome. Thank you guys for having me again. Definitely enjoy spending some time with you guys. Thanks so much, Hanny. So that was an awesome episode. Hanny, I think, you know, you said in the introduction that uh, it's a phenomenal guest. Uh, yeah, I agree. I love Hanny. Do you want to try to predict the next company he's going to buy or expansion he's going to do? Or do you want to go into other things? Um, so I know that Hanny, so he got involved in the idea uh, to learn more about the residential side because uh, Hibco and First General are so much about restoration and helping bring communities back from really bad and tough situations. Uh, but I know part of his passion lies in building spaces for people. Uh, and I think something we could learn from like Katie's episode is when you could add in design in-house, uh, then you do so many cool things. And I don't think at all Hattie's there. Like we've never talked about it, but I know how much he loves architecture and design. And if I had to put 10 bucks on something, I bet you he brings in some in-house designers that's exactly what I thought yeah. you were going to say. That's that's exactly what I think as well. I think he's, he's you know, he's the type of guy that um, kind of learns about something and then becomes an expert in it <laughs> and then does that thing himself. So, uh, you know, I think that's, that's kind of a logical next step for him. One thing that I thought was fascinating, though, is that he utilizes the architectural clearinghouse as much as possible. Um, I didn't even know this was a thing. And let me tell you, I am the king of uh, restoring materials. And when I say that, I mean my garage is full of materials waiting to be used for a new project. But I didn't even know this place existed. And that's maybe because they don't have a website. Um, they do have a fairly active social media presence, though, on Facebook and Instagram. They've got lots of stuff. Architectural Clearinghouse. I'll even read out their address right now. It's 11518 119th Street. Uh, I haven't been yet, but uh, after listening to Handy talk about it, I'm a big believer in it. Just looking through their um, Instagram and Facebook, they've got everything from like windows, doors, railings, gates, uh, toilets, sinks, um, literally everything, even like uh, structural lumber and uh, dimensional lumber as well. So uh, I'm definitely going to be over there uh, checking it out, kind of like uh, like an antique store uh, shopping trip for Ryan a little bit. But yeah, definitely think that was a cool um, thing that I didn't even realize about Hanny is that they're kind of utilizing that and believe in reducing construction waste. When I went on their social media and like their tagline is, we're dedicated to salvaging, reclaiming, recycling, just plain old saving good building materials from being thrown into big dumpsters. dumpsters. Uh, I thought that was fabulous. And um, my mom and grandfather, insanely creative and handy, like didn't pass that down onto me, passed it to my brother. <laughs> He's very handy. Um, but one of my favorite things to do with her, uh, especially over the holidays when I have a bit of time off work, is go to reuse it centers or like the Mennonite store or things like that where like they've saved old, beautiful doors, sinks, my parents' refrigerator is from the Reese at Center. Um, cause she there's no one that finds a better deal than Karma. Uh, but <laughs> uh she's like, look at this tile, look at this hinge, look at this. Uh and she knows what everything is and yeah, uh growing up in small town with a cowboy dad, she's very handy. It's it's lovely to have her. So I'm gonna definitely have to take her here. My, my dad too, actually. So uh, I come from a long line of like hoarders and uh, repurposers as well. So my dad comes over probably uh, in between five and 10 times a year with like a pro like a project that he's built. So uh, he built this cute little step stool for my daughter out of like materials that he had left over from renovating his mom's house or something. Uh, he came over with a birdhouse that he painted, which was like an old chair that he repurposed. Um, always something. So again, that wasn't passed down to me, but uh, I have a garage full of materials ready to go if uh, 
if my dad or, or anybody else wants to come and, <laughs> and use that. But uh, yeah, Architectural Clearinghouse, please go check it out. Yeah. And I think uh, the other thing that we talked a lot about in this episode um, was something that Hanny and I really connected to early on in our uh, professional and personal relationship is the value of community. Uh, and I know it's like really ingrained in HIBCO's values. I've been to their offices and their Christmas party and oh my gosh, is it a family? <laughs> but I've also met people that they work with in the community, like uh, the fabulous owner at The Carrot, which is like this really beautiful, uh, tasty little cafe on 118th. Um, and like, it's a very community oriented space. And I know Hibco's worked with them before in the Kaleidoscope Fest. And like, even if you just Google Hibco and Hanny, one of the first things that comes up is uh, his background with the food bank, uh, how the food bank helped him get to where he is today, and also what he's done with the food bank uh, since he is the fabulous Hanny that he is now and and his wonderful brothers. Um, and I, like, I am also a big food bank. Uh, it's one of my favorite charities in Edmonton or nonprofits. I'm not sure what their actual status is, but the value they give to community. Oh my goodness. Um, so yeah, I think that focus on community and it it's shown in his residential projects, his commercial projects and his company culture. Yeah, there's a lot of companies um, out there that, like, it's very simple to just put up a website and say, hey, we're a family. We're a family. Uh, Hibco quite literally is a family business because um, him and his brothers are, are high, uh, you know, are, are very involved in there. But yeah, everybody that I've ever talked to that works there or First General or any of the other kind of subsidiaries that they have, they're all kind of pushing in the same direction. So it's nice to see a company that's actually, you know, um, living that uh, that virtue that they put down on their website. Yeah. Um, I don't know if you've had a chance to go see their new office location uh, that they just rebuilt, but next time you, you run into Hanny or Mo, you need to talk to them about it. It is so gorgeous, but they also have uh, this big workout space because they're really into physical health too, as well as like um, this family-oriented uh, community that, that they've built. And like they work out every day. Mo's fiance run courses. Uh, she is in insane, <laughs> insanely good health. Uh, she's also a doctor. Uh, she, shout out to her. She just finished her residency uh, and like could kick anyone's butt in boxing. Um, so yeah, definitely talk to them about their workout classes because oh my gosh, well, they will whip your butt. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's not shocking just by looking at them. And actually, fun fact, uh, Hibco used to have um, a basketball team in the Edmonton Basketball Association League that I played in. And uh, I played against Hanny and his brothers and his older brother is an absolute maniac beast. Uh, strongest guy I've ever played against. And then Hanny and Mo were like, they're on the shorter side, but they were like, pound for pound. Strong, strongest guys in the court as well. So uh, nicest though. They were really always nice to play against and they didn't throw their weight around in like a mean or disrespectful way either, which was nice. But yeah, no, I got uh, some firsthand, uh, you know, advice. <laughs> I got sent to the weight room a few times by the Hibco brothers for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, I that doesn't surprise me. They're in insanely good shape. And actually, uh, if you talk to Hanny about it, he wasn't in great shape maybe five, six years ago. And Mo, his younger brother, really got him into it. Uh, and like, you could never tell now if you met him in the last couple of years that this was like a big transformation. <laughs> of course, he became expert at that too. Gosh. I know. It's, it's his passion. Anything he's passionate about, he only does at a thousand percent. <laughs> yeah. So Thanks so much for spending your afternoon with me. Uh, before we wrap up today, I just wanted uh, to give a shout out to one of our listeners. And I don't know if you've talked to them recently, but they gave us a suggestion that we need to talk to Path for People um, because, you know, active mode transportation, infill development, all kinds of creates a great city. Uh, so thanks so much to Jordan for listening to the podcast. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah. Uh, I'm a big fan of Pass for People. We should get them on. Jordan, Stephen, any of you, if you're listening, please 
come on our podcast. Yeah. And uh, Idea is going to have a fabulous event coming up in January, I believe on the 18th in the evening. Uh, so if you're wanting to see Ryan and I in person, come hang out with us, subscribe to our newsletter uh, so you can get first hands on a ticket to the 18th. Yeah, fabulous event. Uh, come hang out with us. It should be a really fun time. Um, otherwise, yeah, thanks for hanging out with me and gushing about Hanny. I'll see you next time, Ryan. Bye. Thank you.